You are listening to part one of a special five-part series on mindfulness on the Mind Body Academy podcast with Sarah Rose. This isn't an NBA. This is the NBA. This is the place for you to get coached and make health and happiness the business of how you get ahead in life. You get coached. Coached. This is the startup of you. You get coached. And now, your coach, Sarah Rose. What's up, my friends? How's everyone doing? I hope you're finding that today is a good day to have a good day. And if, for whatever reason, you're feeling a little stressed out or a little down, know that it's okay to get back up, to turn your focus back towards what it is that you want. What do you want to make of today? Strength is developed in rising, not in being up and staying up all the time. Happiness isn't a state that we arrive at. It's about how much appreciation we can bring to ourselves and to our lives throughout the process of moving ourselves from here to there. Because the truth is, there is no better there to get to. The goodness we want to get to is just one thought away. Always. You just have to get present to it to recognize that it's already here. Happiness isn't about how much we do or have, but rather about how much we notice. And that's the perfect way to start diving into today's topic. This episode and the following four will form part of a series that will introduce you to mindfulness and its practical applications to your life, especially through these times that we're navigating right now. Mindfulness is a daily personal practice of mine, and for over a year now, I have been a student of Jack Cornfield's and Tara Brock's as I undergo a two-year certification with them. Mindfulness is also a process that I work on with my clients, who often share with me how much it's changing their lives and how much it's helping. In our high-stress, overworked lives, we tend to think that the secret to getting more done is to do more. So we produce, produce, produce from a pressured place and call it productivity. Equating productivity with being busy, right? But if you're rushing around trying to juggle multiple tasks at once and double booking yourself all the time, you are in fact making yourself less efficient. On top of that, if you're perpetually stressed out and on edge and your attention is elsewhere, It won't matter how much you achieve or how successful you become because you won't be present enough to enjoy any of it, any of what you're creating. There's a personal anecdote to this point in the book, The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist, where the author has been flown in to speak to a group of senior executive women at Microsoft. The average net worth of each woman in the room was over $10 million, and As Lynn got done speaking to them about the rich details of everyday life and the experience of women living in resource-poor situations such as Senegal and Bangladesh, who, despite their circumstance, had a wealth of courage, community, connection, and care for one another, as she described it, the revelation that life might be passing these women by became 
palpable in the room. The firsthand accounts of these women that she relayed to them poked holes into this notion of being better off. And what the women started to gain as an insight into their own lives from these women who seemed worlds apart from them was an access to seeing their own lives more clearly, not as better or worse off, simply rooted in awareness long enough to suspend the chase for more and feel themselves resourced by acknowledging what they spent little to no time acknowledging before. You know, being celebrated as leaders, the purpose and satisfaction they derive from their work and their families. All it took was a moment of mindfulness for appreciation to set in and for the sense of running on empty to be replaced with a look of fullness that rather than lack across our faces. So it's really that remarkable what mindfulness can do. What's so interesting is that if you scan through all your to-dos and all the goals you want to accomplish and examine your motives, usually what you're chasing after is the place where you can finally relax and enjoy your life. Understood in this way, success isn't about how much you can hustle, but really about how well you can relax. So it's about creating and achieving and reaching that level where you can relax into what you have created and achieved. Which is not to say that you stop producing, right? I'm saying the exact opposite. Effort becomes effortless effort, and you can start to do more with less. Let me tell you why this matters. When we spend all our time focused on what we don't have, we spend no time practicing having what we have. We struggle and strive for more of what always comes to feel like nothing. And in our pushing against our external circumstances, we end up pushing back on ourselves. And that's why so many people achieve extraordinarily great things or even a little extra in the ordinary and then they turn around and sabotage it. Pulling from the book, The Soul of Money again, There's this passage that humanizes the experience of this kind of scarcity and reveals the divide between the haves and the haves not are not so rooted in what is had, but rather in the capacity to have. So there's a distinction there. And I just want to read this passage to you. I've been engaged all these years in the lives and circumstances of people, many of whom live in crushing conditions where the lack of food, water, shelter, freedom, or opportunity drives every conversation. Others, by every measure, have bounty way beyond their needs. More money, more food, more cars, more clothes, more education, more services, more freedom, more opportunity, more everything. Yet, surprisingly, in that world of overabundance too, the conversation is dominated by what they don't have and what they want to get. No matter who we are or what our circumstances are, we swim in conversations about what there isn't enough of. 
So what the author Lynn Twist is getting at is that the struggle for sufficiency and life satisfaction has nothing to do with the amount of money you have or what you've been able to accomplish. It's about your relationship to what you have. What's noticeably absent is the pause to question any of this. What is enough? The truth is, anything that can be lost was never truly ours. So, can we be with what we have? Can we be aware of what we have while we have it? So that we might enjoy it. There's this saying, what you appreciate, appreciates. That's really the power of being able to direct our minds with mindfulness. And that's the retraining, the reorienting of the attention that can be developed through this practice of mindfulness. How we pay attention to the present moment determines our experience of that moment. And by extension, the quality of our lives. Every experience you've ever had has been shaped by your mind. Acknowledging this is so powerful because if we drop in to this moment, we can transcend all the things we think we have to do in order to make our lives better. And all of a sudden, our experience of life becomes better without it even having to have changed. Which is not to say that life becomes about being happy all the time. Rather, mindfulness enlarges our capacity to be with our lives no matter what emotion is present or what might be going on. My meditation teacher, Tara Brack, asks, can I be with this? So during a meditation practice or simply when you notice discomfort arise in your day-to-day, orienting towards the source of the discomfort and investigating, can I be with this? When you ask that kind of question, your whole life opens up and it's like opening a window in a dark room. The light that's let in doesn't obliterate the experience of the dark and it doesn't change the physical structure of the room, but the awareness of the contrast mediates the experience of walking through the room such that neither polarity too dark or too light becomes blinding or too extreme. So asking yourself, can I be with this? And allows you to relax into the experience of being where you are. And it creates a freedom to move through your life in a way where you're not so constrained or tensing against the experience of what's present for you. Observing your mind literally changes you because when you can recognize the experience you're having and learn to say yes to it in this way, it changes the nature of your relationship to the environment that you're in, the relationship you have to your life. Because it's when we say no to it that what's really happening is that we're saying no to the reality of what is. And we're keeping ourselves in that dark room with the windows closed. The point I want to make is an important one. We meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. Meditation is 
a practice, and that practice prepares us to meet our lives with mental clarity and wisdom, even and especially when we face conditions that stretch beyond reason, like the loss of a job or a loved one or a medical diagnosis. The goal is not the oh-so-frustrating objective of clearing your mind. (laughs) In fact, the exact opposite happens when we first sit down to meditate. So when we sit with this noble intention to stop thinking and relax, (laughs) what usually happens is we become alarmed by just how many thoughts we're thinking and how difficult it is to relax. Many people brand themselves failed meditators at this point, but recognizing thoughts as thoughts is meditation. When we witness our thoughts, we experience ourselves not at the effect of our mind, but as the force behind our mind. And it's that separating out, that disidentification from our thoughts that frees us to decide who we want to be in relationship to whatever has happened to us in our lives or to whatever is going on right now. So really, what we are gaining through awareness is the power of choice and that agency to decide. It's not possible to track every single one of our thoughts. You would have to keep up with over 60,000 thoughts a day. Go. (laughs) Pretty hard. And it's also not possible to get the mind to stop all that mental commentary and all those thoughts on command. The mind thinks like the heart beats, so let go of any preconceived notions of what meditation should be look like and give yourself permission to develop this mental discipline with a beginner's mind. Meditation is your training that prepares your mind and body for heightened awareness and engagement with your life. One thing that becomes clear to a new meditator is just how often we find ourselves lost in thought. It can take a while before we've even noticed that we've drifted off. In Back in 2010, Matt Killingsworth and Dan Gilbert investigated what happens when our minds wander like this, and they found that almost 50% of the time, people reported that they were off task in whatever they were engaged in in their daily life. Consider the implications of this. That's half of waking life. That could represent half of your life, half of your life that you're not present for. The other associated finding in the study was that the people also reported being considerably less happy on average when their minds were wandering, which makes sense because a lot of our waking thoughts are spun out of a place of anxiety and worry. So when we're following the pull of those thoughts, it's like pulling out your headphones from your pockets all knotted up with all the wires crossed. We're spending an inordinate amount of time untangling those wires to get back to what's important, to get back to finally getting the music to our ears. So we're just distracting ourselves with all this mental noise. And mindfulness allows us to calm that agitation around the mental chatter. And that does not necessarily translate to the ultimate Bliss and Nirvana Experience (laughs) 2.0. While meditation might be deeply relaxing at times, mindfulness rather than relaxation is the aim of meditation. 
Meditation takes time and deliberate practice. It can't be speeded up. There's actually this story of a Zen student who asks, who asks his teacher, Master, how long will it take for me to meditate and attain serenity? After a long silence, the master replies, 30 years. The student is like, what? He's <laughs> a little taken aback. Um, that's a very long time. What if I make twice the effort? And the teacher is silent again and replies, it will take you 60 years. <laughs> so it's not about the effort. It's about the intention with which we practice. Mindfulness is above all an intention with which we meet our lives, not only during the meditation practice, but as we get up from our practice. The essence of mindfulness is attention and intention. One of the most widely circulated definitions of mindfulness is from Jean Kabat-Zinn, who stated, mindfulness is the awareness that arises from paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, moment by moment, and non-judgmentally. Mindfulness is how meditation spills over into our lives. Every time we take ourselves off of autopilot, that is a moment of mindfulness. As my teacher Tara Brack says, mindfulness is remembering to press pause and meditating is staying in and with the pause. So each moment we remember to breathe is a portal to a well of well-being. The space that the breath creates to drop into presence allows us to become responsible for the direction of our day and the trajectory of our lives and our feeling in this moment. So mindfulness helps us regulate state changes in the now. There's a very immediate effect. Meditation, on the other hand, helps you de-excite your nervous system, which helps you get rid of stress that you've been carrying in your cells and tissues at a physiological level from your past. It gives the body the deep rest it needs to clear that backlog of stress, which clears the way for better performance and mental clarity. In the process, it also deconditions our stress response. As the founder of Ziva Meditation, Emily Fletcher says, stress is not what happens to you. Stress is your reaction to what happens to you. Our emotional and attentional bandwidth shrinks the more competing demands we place on it. When the load becomes too heavy, our capacity to be responsive collapses into reactivity. Viktor Frankl, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, describes it this way. Between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. Mindfulness is what allows us to hold that space open. When that space collapses, we go unconscious and react. We put ourselves onto autopilot. We follow our default. And thanks to recent advances in neuroscience, we now know that meditation actually changes the brain. 
doesn't just change the default. It actually changes the brain itself. There are unmistakable physical changes like the shrinking of the amygdala, the fear center of the brain, and the expansion of the brainstem where dopamine and serotonin, those bliss chemicals, originate from, and the thickening of the corpus callosum, which facilitates transmission back and forth between the two hemispheres of the brain. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> kind of blows my mind. Meditation doesn't just reprogram the operating system of your brain. It updates your default and alongside that upgrades your mental hardware. Your mind and your brain are the most powerful tools that you have. Yet for most of us, they go completely neglected. And here's the thing, as Emily Fletcher says, we don't act in accordance to what we know. We act in accordance with the baseline of stress in our nervous systems. That's why even when we know better, we don't always do better. We know we shouldn't eat or drink or spend the way that we do, but we do all the same. We know that we need to do certain things to create a result, but we don't do it. Why? Right? This is why. And so many of us have such a hard time understanding that why. The more stress we're holding on to, the more we act out of unconsciousness. So I want to offer you the experience of looking at your mind and seeing what's going on in there. And I'll be guiding you through a meditation practice. And before I do, you might be wondering to yourself, wait, how do I meditate? Now that I can get what it can do for me, how do I practice meditation? What's the best technique? There are lots of arguments over this and different ways you can approach it. Once people find something that works for them, they tend to think, this must be it. This is the way. But really, we're all looking at the same thing. All the different ways of meditating are different facets that are part of the same shiny disco ball. So <laughs> it's about experimenting to discover the way you want to look at it. It's like arguing over which sport is the best that you can do. It doesn't really matter. Just pick one and do it. Don't like it? Try another. If you have a practice and you're not seeing a return on investment in your time, if your life isn't getting better, then find a teacher technique that resonates with you. Explore and experiment. It doesn't have to be dull and boring and a total snore. <laughs> Personally, I'm pretty type A, so I thought meditation would be a total snooze fest. <laughs> but I've had so many experiences that have blown my mind wide open. And then there's still these times when I find myself napitating instead of meditating, and that's okay too. Each meditation session is going to look very different. Some are shallow, some are deep. Both have tremendous value. Even though our tendency is to judge and discount sessions where we were especially distracted or tired, it doesn't have to be this way. That's why it's so helpful to stabilize our experience of mindfulness with compassion. Without compassion, we don't have 
the skillful means to open to who we are and to what is. So compassion is what keeps the awareness strong and open. The attitude that supports compassion in a meditation sit is one of friendliness and curiosity. That's what allows you to customize your practice and make it what you need. It's that inner listening that allows you to access what brings you into the present moment the most. Compassion cultivates that kind of connection. And without compassion, we cannot practice with consistency. And consistency is really the key to practicing enough to develop skill. Skill that really starts to transform the way that we are relating to ourselves and to our lives. There are going to be days when your meditation practice is just one mindful breath. Just one. And that will have been enough. Laziness habits are hard to break, but they are worse when you beat yourself up over them. So giving yourself that leeway to just remember one breath a day and to start there really begins to open towards a deeper practice. So you want to find the length of time that you can commit to no matter what and be flexible enough to make your practice what you need it to be. It could be five minutes once a day or three times a day. 10 to 20 minutes is generally what's recommended. So start where you are in your life and you can always increase incrementally from there. No one's expecting you to ship out for 30 days of total silence to a cave in the Himalayas or for you to have a rigid practice where you have to pretzel your body into some impossibly uncomfortable to hold lotus pose for an hour before sunrise. (laughs) There are many meditation postures. The important thing is to find a position that's both comfortable and alert. Anywhere you have the ability to sit or lay down, you now have the ability to meditate. You don't need a backdrop of perfect silence or Enya playing on a loop or incense or candles. (laughs) All of those things are wonderful and relaxing, sure. (laughs) But are they necessary? No. So go with a calming and quiet atmosphere if you can, but any space or setting can become meditative if you bring significance to it through your intention to meditate. There's that word again, intention. Remember, you are in training for you, not to become a monk. (laughs) Once you've found a posture and a setting that's right for you, you can use an app or a timer. Personally, I recommend the Insight app. It's free and I love that it has the option of both guided practices of all different styles and the option to practice in silence as well with a soft bell to symbolize the beginning and the end of the practice. You can program any interval of time you want with that bell and you'll know exactly when it starts and when it ends and you can even create a bell in the middle of the practice just to bring you back whatever you feel you need to begin in a way that you can sustain. So today you'll have the experience of a short 10-minute guided practice. So there's nothing you have to do or figure out. You can simply begin to relax. 
deeper and deeper with every instruction. So whenever you're ready, prepare to unwind your mind in this guided meditation practice with relaxation as the destination, just a soothing release of any backlog of stress you might be carrying into an expanding sense of calm, creating a more spacious experience of whatever is happening in your present situation, giving yourself over to the dance between what is, what has been, and what is yet to be realized. Begin by letting your body rest in a very comfortable position upright or lying down. Take a deep breath in and on an exhale bring your eyes to a close. Eyes closed, senses awake. And on your next exhale just allow yourself to sink deeper into the posture. Breathing like this a few more times, inhaling all the way to the top of your lungs, and then all out. Let it all go and relax. Ground your attention in the body, wherever your body contacts the ground or the support beneath you. Extending the attention beyond the physical body by noticing if there are any sounds, close sounds, more distant sounds. Maybe simply noticing the appearing and disappearing of these words. Bringing a listening attention to the space between sounds. And noticing if there are any smells to be smelled. Or simply sensing the airflow of the breath. Just a fluid stream of breath in and out, through the nose. With a gentle attention, an open attention, scan your body and mind. Simply notice whatever becomes more noticeable. Thoughts, tension, sounds, mental chatter, planning, remembering. As you drop into awareness, as you deepen your awareness, notice also what dissipates, where there is space, where there's silence to rest in, 
If you notice the mind has been pulled away by a thought, simply take a few conscious, drawn-out breaths as a means of collecting the attention. And then relaxing your breathing. Simply observing your breath, observing your body, here and now. Welcome whatever is there to be acknowledged or experienced, sensations, thoughts, emotions. Let the inward experience be peaceful and protective as you become more attuned to what it's like living in your body, how your body is holding the experience. And just see if you can relax some what can you let go of? Feeling the body energetically releasing. The quality that supports us in cultivating calm within us is a friendliness. Meeting ourselves moment to moment as we would a friend. And this may take some conscious effort at first, but gradually, as you continue to anchor with your breath, feel yourself in your body through the breath, you'll be able to meet yourself in whatever you're experiencing and gently bring yourself back if you've been pulled away by a thought. Noticing how the moment-to-moment -moment experience of your body, of your thoughts, emotion changes that all things come to pass Feeling your body once more, resting into the background. It's 
Sensing your mind grounded into fresh awareness. And bringing small mindful movements back into your extremities. Retwirling your fingers. Your hand opens and closes, opens and closes, remarks poet Rumi before continuing. If it were always a fist or always stretched open, you would be paralyzed. Your deepest presence is in every small contracting and expanding, the two as beautifully balanced and coordinated as birds' wings. May you find freedom in knowing that your power is in your attention. Remember that at any given time, when you feel stressed, you have an equal and opposite capacity to relax. The pivot point will always be your focus, bringing your focus back to what you do want to experience. Whatever you do want to experience is here for you now, in this present moment, if you open to the awareness of it. Taking some moments to rest in this energy that you've cultivated. Whenever you're ready, Open your eyes. Poet Christiane Martin writes, When your world moves too fast and you lose yourself in the chaos, reacquaint yourself with the earth beneath your feet. Thank the air that surrounds you with every breath you take. Find yourself in the appreciation of life. One of my mentors was asked what she did when her life was at its absolute hardest. At the time, she went through heartbreak. She was seriously financially in the red. There was a lot that was going wrong. And here's what she said allowed the whole situation to change for her. The truth of the matter is that I found appreciation. I found a way to love my life without changing it. I found a way to fall in love with a stage of where I was in my business in a way that I could be obsessed with the thing I was doing and the thing I wanted to achieve without feeling like I had to get to that place to enjoy it. That right there is really the secret. Appreciating what we have now, appreciating what's available to us in this moment. There's the time we've been given, and then there's the time we give ourselves. Probably the most commonly cited reason for not meditating is that people feel they don't have time, but recognize that your brain is responsible for printing 
every single cell in your body and making every single decision in your life. So what else are you doing with your time? As Oprah says, I believe one of the most valuable gifts you have to give yourself is time. Taking time to become more fully present. If you're not really here for your life, what are you here for? If that question makes you pause, then you're already a little more here. And it's been so good to be here with you. Next week, we'll be talking about the power of your breath as part of meditation and your daily life. And recently I was listening to an interview with Dr. Andrew Weil, who's considered the father of integrative medicine. And he's been ahead of the curve on many of the most important aspects of human optimization. And when asked what area is still being overlooked for its health benefits, he said breathing. So be sure to tune in next week and find out all about that. Thanks for being an awesome listener of the podcast. Your health is your number one wealth asset. And your body is the vehicle for you to make that contribution you want to make to the world. Step into a vision of success that includes health and happiness by joining my one-on-one coaching program where you'll work directly with me in Think Yourself Slim to do just that. Or be part of the conversation in the Genius Body community over on Facebook. Let's start a transformation today.